Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Oh, Jennifer, we have spaghetti for you whenever you get here. That's a text I would love to hear at any time from anybody. We have spaghetti for you. Okay. We're going to plow through this. Okay. So I have cancer. Oh, God. (laughs) Just a joke, everybody. Cancer is a joke. I am having surgery on my uterus, so is it a joke? We'll see. I'm still going to say no. It's not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Intensive surgery on your uterus. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a topic you want to talk about is your uterus? (laughs) like a good opener hey so i'm having surgery on my uterus i am having surgery is the plural of uterus uteruses i would say uteri because i hate the sound of uteruses i like the sound of uteri yeah uteri it sounds like a white kid name what it sounds like (laughs) an afghan name uteri no like with all the fucky like little kid names these days like uteri is definitely like some little boy name that would be out like Slade. Oh, yeah. I dated Slade. a girl who worked at a daycare, and one of the kids' <laughs> names was Slade. Did they love Teen Titans? <laughs> that was my first thought. I'm like, oh, he's going to grow up to be a villain. Yeah. He's going to grow up to kill superheroes. Definitely. It's me, Slade. Hi, I'm Grenade, <laughs> the seven-year-old boy. How are you? <laughs> this is uh, According to an Idiot. Welcome. That was the five-star golden intro that I had planned. Mm-hmm. Right, Jeremy? Right, Jeremy. So we just had our first improv comedy show we've ever done, and it feels appropriate to share it because- I was fucking terrified the whole time. (laughs) Some people from our improv class listened to us, so- Yeah, so we thought we'd bore all of you who- (laughs) People who aren't the four people from improv class. Uh, The two people. (laughs) The two two people. Hopefully it'll grow to four someday. I don't know. I I think it's fun to add. We talked about it a little bit before- yeah. So, I, I don't know, it's appropriate to update, right? We both have social anxiety. Yeah, and, and just anxiety. Just anxiety. So anxiety, the depression, the OCD. Shell shock. That's not even, like, totally sarcastic either. Like, we're, I know. we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As someone who is anxious, with improv, it was comforting because you don't know what to be worried about. So, therefore, yeah. you, all your anxiety is void. I, I get that way with lecture presentation type things right. with my job. You can only prepare so much. And you just kind of at some point have to get up there and wing it. It's kind of a fun feeling to me. And it was to- it was very different doing it in like a comedy setting. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So moving on from that, I did want to say thank you to our improv troupe, our classmates. If you're still listening to this, <laughs> thank you so much. And I love you guys. You guys really did help me a lot. And the class was pretty transformative for me. Yeah. But um, I'm not going to let you say your thank yous. I, uh, I thank no one. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> You're welcome for carrying this class. No, it was it was a very cool experience with cool people. Yeah, I th- I would recommend anybody who like you don't even have to be funny. Anybody yeah, who has like really social don't. anxiety, try out improv. It's going to make you so uncomfortable in the best way. Yeah, definitely. I always say you're not growing if you're comfortable. Absolutely. You should always do the things that scare you. Those are the things that you should reach out and do because. What's the worst that's going to happen? You could die. Once you know that, <laughs> it's not scary. Like, that's yeah. what I always do. I always think, because of the anxiety, of course, I always think, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, well, that probably won't happen. 
Right, exactly. Okay. What's the worst Whatever. that would have happened in improv? I don't know. I putzed a joke and nobody laughed. Mm-hmm. And what's the best that happened? Uh, probably what happened. Yeah. You know, I went up there. I had a fun time. Right. So if you are scared about something, just go out and do it. Because why not? You have a, a finite amount of time on this earth, you know. If you don't take chances, nothing's going to happen. Definitely. Really, nothing's going to happen for you. If you're not okay with being a little bit embarrassed, you're going to be embarrassed regardless. Because yeah, you're, you're... going to be like, I'm embarrassed that I didn't take a chance. Exactly. So That's my life philosophy. Life is pain. <laughs> life is pain. <laughs> be uncomfortable. Ooh, this is a perfect segue. Stop right there. <laughs> life is pain. Think gulag. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. Like right. the Russian concentration camps? Yes. I love where this is headed. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Another twist and turn. Okay. Think Shrek. Right? Lost do you, me do entirely. you see the parallels here? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Shrek looks like he could maybe be Russian. Do you think that maybe Shrek in itself is a gulag? You're going to have to elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That's, that's, that's so conceptual. That's, Thanks, that is some high theory right there. I don't know if you've heard, but they're. I doing, definitely have it. They're doing a Shrek reboot, uh, 2020. What? Yes. what? They're not doing a sequel. They're doing a reboot of Shrek. Okay. Supposedly. It's been in the works for a long time, and they keep, like, postponing it. But supposedly, there's going to be a reboot of Shrek in 2020. Wow. Right? Internet, hurrah. Everyone excited. Yeah, no, the thing is, the internet likes Shrek ironically now, because it's been beaten to death with, like, the terrible sequels. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm bringing it up, the reboot, and Shrek in general, is... I researched Shrek for some reason because I felt like it. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask the, questions. The history of Shrek. That's and good. apparently there was like, I don't know if you remember when I call it a conspiracy. Oh, boy. With Shrek, which I thought was hilarious. So I wanted to share with you and get your thoughts. Okay. Basically, DreamWorks, the production company that made Shrek, yes. punished the animators by making them work on it. So around that time... Prince of Egypt was also in works, and that yes. was kind of like going to be their big mm-hmm. blockbuster hit. So they had a bunch of animators working on Prince of Egypt, and people actually a pretty good film. It is. I, I actually like it. Uh, it actually it flopped in the box office. Yeah, right. So back when Prince of Egypt was in the works, if DreamWorks thought that an animator was doing a bad job, or they messed up, or they made a mistake, they were sent to go work on Shrek as a punishment. Wow. The movie. Yeah. So they, it was called the Gulag. Oh, they actually nicknamed it the Gulag. Yeah, they, they nicknamed it the Gulag and they called it Getting Shrekt. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, oh, wow. Yeah, they uh, called it the ugly stepchild of the animation wing because they thought the movie would never see the light of day, let alone an Academy Award. Wow. So, oh wait, Shrek won the an Academy Award? Yeah, I guess so. Damn. Uh, well, you know, the first the first one especially was huge when it came out. Like it was like Shrek was massive. Uh, which is so funny because DreamWorks considered it a low budget boondoggle. <laughs> Hey, I hate like the weird company, like the industry jargon. It's a that's a boondoggle. That's a boondoggle. I thought that was a funny word. Um, yeah, they just banished animators to it once they failed on other projects. Uh, accord- and this is actually in a book of somebody who worked at DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. So this is like a recorded thing. Someone thought it was important enough to mention in a book about the DreamWorks <laughs> yeah. gulag called gulag. Getting Shrek. Getting Shrek. Man. I don't know. Like, it just fits right into my perception of what Shrek is, though. That's, like, 
pure kiss mat shrek when it came out to what it is today mm-hmm. and with the revamp i don't know what it's going to turn into again we disrespect shrek so much as a nation as <laughs> as a generation with good reason though with good reason but and also, also like not really ill intent shrek is like the really nice towel that is now a jizz rag shrek is love and shrek is life and shrek, Sh- shrek, shrek is a gulag shrek, <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> Like, the Shrek memes and everything, and if you don't know about the Shrek memes, because I don't know who's listening to this, look into it, you'll be confused. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's, the weirdest cultural phenomenon. Can you take that seriously? Can you revamp that? Because it's become such a... I don't even know how to talk about it. Shrek is the fucking weirdest thing ever. Because people, Mm -hmm. like, love it so much they hate it, or they hate it so much they love it. I don't Uh, know. It's it's like the B-movie. Yeah, the B-movie as well. Because the B-movie did not do well critically when it came out. But B-movie memes... (laughs) The B-movie memes are absolute <laughs> insanity. They're completely like, in, there's no way Jerry Seinfeld understands what the B-movie memes are. Yeah. There's no not. way. Uh, if you're not aware, the B-movie is a movie about a bee that falls in love with a woman. And then the woman <laughs> also falls in love with the bee. It was an animated movie that came out probably like 10 or so years ago probably, now. Probably, yeah. I saw that in theaters as a kid. I, I did too, actually, yeah. yeah. I was excited for that movie. Me too, uh, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld produced it and he acted in it and like the main character's face was like modeled off his own kind of. Yeah. It was one of those movies where it was just like a passion project and I don't know why because right. like, what do you think about when you think of Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, bees. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he woke up from a fever dream one day and was like, I have to make a movie about this. Right. Jerry Seinfeld took Ambien and like called the producer and was like, I got an idea. But yeah, it was like bad. Yeah. And then after a while, it just kind of became a meme. People started loving it. Yeah. Kind of like The Room. Exactly. It got a cult following. Shrek is a little different, though, because Shrek was actually good and people loved mm-hmm. it when it first came out. Yeah. And now it's just kind of transformed into a, like a weird sex thing. Yeah. Shrek has reached the very depths of meme culture. It's what we've What we've done to Shrek, I think, is pretty unspeakable. <laughs> but it only makes sense that it started off as this gulag. Yeah. Kaylee, I have something I want to run by you real quick. Have you ever heard of the Yellowstone Zone of Death? I've heard of Yellowstone. Okay. And I've heard of death. The Yellowstone Zone of Death is obviously it's a section of Yellowstone National Park in which, as a result of a loophole in the Constitution of the United States, a criminal could theoretically get away with any crime up to and including murder. What? How? It just was one zone that isn't. Because it's uh, I, like where it's a all, zoning the, issue. all the four states meet. Is that okay, it? Okay. So because Yellowstone encompasses like four states, there's four ways you can get in, and no ways you can get out. Uh, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like a, the tagline to like a really bad Yellowstone horror movie. Wrong turn sixteen. Um, okay, I'm gonna read this off, and we're just gonna keep whatever makes sense. The loophole is as follows. The court district governing Wyoming is currently the only court district in the U.S. to have a jurisdiction over land in other states. This is due to the fact that all of Yellowstone National Park, which includes parts of Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, is part of the Wyoming Judicial District. Any criminal discovered to have committed a crime in that district would usually be brought to Cheyenne, Wyoming, where the court for the Wyoming district is. However, the Sixth Amendment decrees that a trial must happen both within the district and state of where the crime was committed. Because of this, a crime committed in the zone of death would be constitutionally required to be tried in and include only jury members from the zone. So therefore, you know, it exists in the Idaho part of the park, Mm -hmm. but Wyoming owns all of it. Right. So you can go to this little patch and you could kill somebody. And you couldn't be tried. They would pr- probably find a way to try you. No, not me. Like in, in, my, in my head, I'm just imagining like one circle of chalk in the right. middle of the park. There's like one guy standing in the middle of it. Hey, why don't why don't you come over here? I got <laughs> I got some stuff for you. 
And you're like, well, what do you mean? What kind, what kind <laughs> of stuff in your circle? Why do I got to go in there? Don't worry about it. Are you going to sacrifice me or something? No, no, no. Come, come here. No, the view is perfect from right where I'm standing. And then he stabs you, and then people are watching, and they're like, well, you can't do anything about it. You didn't see anything. Yeah. This is the dead zone. It's fucking badass, though, isn't it? Yeah. Anyone who inhabits it is probably going to become a killer. Oh, yeah. Because if you just knew that you could kill, maybe you would kill. You don't know that. But if you do it out in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows it was you. Right. Well, that's how I've been getting away with it. Right. I don't need I mean. a dead zone. I just need like a... Silence. Just some trees. Yeah. Some you know? trees, some dirt, some silence. Maybe. Isn't it so weird that like being tried for all crimes really just depends on like a set of eyes observing it? Mm-hmm. Hearing it as well. Or I somebody just can... being able to stumble across it. So next time I need to murder somebody, I'll, I'll go to Wyoming or no, Idaho. Idaho. Idaho and Idaho. Wyoming, where they converge. In school, when the teacher said Idaho, did you ever laugh? <sighs> I definitely did for Uranus. Yeah, yeah, yeah Uranus. But yeah. I just love when like a teacher would be like, Idaho. It's like first That's person. That's where you always wait. You're like, what's this one, kids? Utaho. Utaho. It's definitely the most important state. Don't at me. Yep. So, Jeremy, I've been not talking enough, so I'm going to talk some <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So here's a science corner about scientists. Uh, science is cool, and today we are cool. I came across this, and I was just like, a, "What?" You know, mm-hmm. my my science <laughs> oh, brain yeah? is, was tingling. It was very yeah. pleased. Yeah. You, you have an aneurysm. You, you have an aneurysm. Uh, scientists are able to now implant memories into bird brains. They te- <sighs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it gets weirder. So they teach them songs they've never heard before using a technique called optogenetics. Basically, they flash light to the birds that stimulate certain neurons in the brain, and this causes auditory memories that would normally come from outside stimulus. So they're teaching birds songs by flashing light. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Is that not like the most bizarre thing you've ever heard? So. Oh, my God. So I want you, can I want you to do... see this cute little picture of the scientist with a bird. Oh, that's a cute, that's a cute bird. Yeah, I fucking love birds, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just like, you can just flash a series of lights at a bird, and all of a sudden it knows like, "Street Corner Symphony" by Rob Thomas. Yeah, basically. That's the first time I've said "Street Corner Symphony" by Rob Thomas out loud. But it's a, fu- <laughs> it's a song a bird would know. That's a song a bird would know. Yeah, one one that it would sing to. Yeah. Isn't that so bizarre, though? Like That's wild. I'm hoping one day science can do that to me. Like, they can just flash some light, and I just know stuff now. Can you imagine how wild that is for the birds? They're just like, oh, fuck. I don't think they I'm going to appreci- sing this now. Yeah, see, I don't think they can appreciate it. Because <laughs> they're just like, ah, oh, yes, light means sound. <laughs> they just go, Beethoven. Or is it like the, they're flashing the light, and they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah. I should repeat that, but Inter- with my voice. Interesting. Yeah, now I want to, I want to, ah, <laughs> yeah really that's what i imagine that's fucking like, insane like do they sing it as they're getting the light flashes or does it take a minute to retain i don't know either way birds are just slaves that's all it is yeah this is a message i must repeat this that's what i imagine a bird sounds like <laughs> yeah they're cute little birds too they're finches they're tinier yeah, ones. finches are really cute zebra finches so so they're striped so finch fathers sing to their chicks while they're young, and eventually the baby birds will start to mimic them. Over time, they'll master the song and pass it down to their offspring as well. So, in a way, zebra finches show a simplified version of human vocal development. Oh. Which is kind of fucking adorable. Like, they're, it is. They're, they're fin- the finches have their own family song. 
That is very cute. If you think about it, you know. So in this new study, the researchers bypassed this process and directly manipulated the brains of young finches. Which is like a fun way to say that. That's uh, (laughs) terrible. To manipulate the brain of young finches. Right. Teaching them parts of a song without any kind of tutoring from their parents. They didn't even have to learn that from their folks. Yeah. like got it. I'm imagining I'm now the parent of this finch. Imagine how proud you'd be. Yeah. They were were successfully brainwashed. Good job, buddy. I'm manipulating your little finch brain. (laughs) What gave them the idea to do that? They used some kind of Morse code. To teach the finches how long syllables of the song should be. Longer pulses of light told them to sing longer syllables and vice versa. And eventually the birds learned how to sing along, even though they'd never been taught by an adult finch. That's cool. I wonder, like, what they are going to do with that information. Yeah, I don't know. Can they do anything with that information? We're going to get finch spies. If the Soviet Union knew about this. Totally. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so many secret messages. That's what the scientists said when they discovered what they did. Like, oh, fuck. We just unlocked it. Yeah, we, un- we unlocked, unlocked the total it. code. Whatever it is, it's unlocked and like Pandora's box is just opened. Wrap it up, folks. We're done. This is it. We, we unlocked Science it. Science is over. I thought that was fun. Well, you know what What else is fun and has wings? What's that? The Mothman. See, that's the exact segue I was going for. God bless it. <laughs> so you actually read a book on this. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to talk about The Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It might be my favorite chunk of, like, American folklore. It's oh, such, really? Yeah, I, I've been wanting to do it for a really long time. I think it was last October I was going to do it for our, our Halloween episode. This mm-hmm. is back when the show was, like, a different format, so it was whatever. But, like, and I was, I, I was just a child then. Oh, how the times have changed. Oh, how the times have turned the tables. Yeah, even back then I was like, I can't cover this because it's too deep. Mm-hmm. And it isn't really that deep, but it's just such a... This is going to be a story that might be worth revisiting in the future. Definitely. The Mothman, which is a cryptid, a strange creature that appeared in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia from 1966 to 1967, is just such a bizarre tale that takes so many twists and turns. And it's going to really require you to um, either turn off your brain or turn (laughs) on your brain, depending on who you are as a person. Um, So I read a book, which most of my research is based on. It's called The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. It was written in 1975, I believe. I saw the mention of that book everywhere. The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. John Keel is a paranormal investigator slash writer slash journalist sort of figure. And he wrote this book. It's based on a true story. And obviously he takes some liberties. You can definitely feel that in the book. You have it's, to. It's incredibly entertaining. I think if you enjoy like high fringe, 100% check out The Mothman Prophecies. It's a wild ride. I walked away so confused and so <laughs> unsure <laughs> About what anything is. And I, I hope it aids in the discussion of this topic of the Mothman. So I think we should just jump right into it yeah. and see what happens. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? When the headlights hit it, it turned and looked at them, and they said, That's not a man. When I seen them big red eyes, we were out of there. We heard this terrible boom and saw the bridge starting to fall. To me, it was a devil, mothman, this evil presence. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. So the mothman is 
really a staple of the local culture of West Virginia and, you know, obviously Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It's actually, there's a, a large metal statue of Mothman in Point Pleasant. as Wait, well what? as the, Yeah, no, really. As well <laughs> as like a Mothman museum. I think Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories recently went there. He posted a picture on Facebook with him and his granddaughter, I think. Aw, that's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I should have uh, contacted him and asked him what it was like. It's a huge tourist attraction, this museum, and just the story in general has captivated people's imaginations, and it's a huge part of American paranormal zeitgeist. I think to start off, a very important character in the story is Point Pleasant itself. So I wanted to start off with giving you guys the foundation of our location, our setting. As of today, Point Pleasant is a relatively small town. According to a 2010 census, there's a population of around 4,300 people. 4,000? That's like today? Yeah, well, that's as of 2010. But at, based on the past censuses, it seems like it's actually getting lower and lower, which is kind oh. of common for small towns these days. Interesting, but, yeah. Yeah. To say it's probably even lower than that in the 66 and 67 or it might be bigger because people move away now a lot yeah they to, do. to cities but anyways it resides in mason county west virginia and again either turn off or turn on your brain i'm going to be talking like this is all real shit even though like i myself have some serious reservations about some of these the, the facets of this <laughs> my story. brain is so turned on right now yeah um <laughs> my, my brain is like hard right now <laughs> So it's located at the confluence of the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers. Hmm. And I just so you know, a little geography lesson for you. Confluence is just the term that refers to uh, where two rivers join into one. And so I know we talked about this in the past for sure, but this idea that supernatural paranormal stuff is tied to running water mm -hmm. and water in general, if you want to get fringy with it, the fact that Point Pleasant is literally on the edge of where two major rivers combine, I think, could play a part in this mythology that you'll shortly see unfold. So following a French exposition around 1749, a plaque was buried in this general area by the Ohio River Valley, which contained a commemorative declaration of ownership by what was called at that point New France, which is like, hmm. you know, the king of France at the time was like, we got to do what the English are doing. We got to make colonies there. Mm -hmm. But at that point, the British had already started to essentially seduce the natives and be like, hey, we got glass beads and um, muskets, maybe? I, I don't know. <laughs> so the French kind of failed at that. But the one thing the expedition did was it gave us like the first clear map of the Ohio River. And the Ohio River Valley was a really significant place geographically for mankind in that area at that time because it was a sort of artery which connects a multitude of waterways. Uh, the Ohio River itself drains into the Mississippi River, which flows to the Gulf of Mexico and into the Atlantic. And tributaries from New York, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama all led to the Ohio River. That's kind of like fantastical, right? Yeah. Like it feels like a fairy tale in that way. Like you always end up right at the same same spot. Right. There's something kind of like creepy about yeah, that. Yeah, and like drawing you to it. Yeah, because there's Definitely. like there's always been a draw with like people and certain activities to water, and I think it's because like people you know, are naked usually in water. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's <laughs> just purely a sexual carnal area. All right. I want to stress a few things, and that's that namely this was the general area where Point Pleasant sits and has been super important historically, culturally, economically. It acted as a lifeline for trading with tribes and settlers. It carried ships from faraway lands containing European expeditioners and later boatloads of white settlers that would threaten the livelihood of the natives. The expression sold down the river referred to the Ohio being used to transport slaves down south to plantations. 
And so prior to the Civil War, the river acted as a kind of border between free and slave states. Uh, more slaves made their escape across the Ohio than anywhere else on the north-south frontier. Slaves actually called the river the River Jordan. So it was sort of seen as that barrier to cross to get to, to freedom. So notable history, in 1770, then-Colonel George Washington visited that area, passed right through Mount Pleasant, remarking on its beauty. Quote, this country abounds in buffalo and wild game of all kinds. And he also took note of the many ponds containing swans, geese, ducks, and um, giant mothmen. No, Ooh, right that here. sounds wonderful. He said, there's giant fucking moth dudes here, and, and I'm scared. And if you look over here, there's beautiful swans, there's some ponds. Oh, there's, there's the Mothman. And there's a, what the fuck is that? And it's some man in a, a feather suit. <laughs> yeah. G- the George Washington's journal for that day, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't come here. There's a Mothman here. Yeah. What the he hell? He just, like, keeps bumping into that light bulb. <laughs> yeah. That's another issue that uh, will be addressed later on is, like, I don't know why he's called Mothman because literally no one compares him to a moth at any point in the story. Yeah. It's like they the, all call him like a bird man. Everyone's like, it's a bird. It's a bird. It's a bat. It's a bat. I think most of the time it's just they're really trying really hard not to call him Batman. Well, it's probably because it was it's all during nighttime. So like that nocturnal yeah. aspect. A significant thing that happened there is this thing called the Battle of Point Pleasant, which is considered by <laughs> some mainly locally as like the first battle of the Revolutionary War. So after the, this battle, after the Battle of Point Pleasant and that whole 1700s bullshit, Point Pleasant remained relatively unremarkable and i don't say that with any derogatory meaning just uh, nothing really happened there for a long time uh that is until the collapse of the silver bridge in 1967 which killed 46 people and we will get into that later and that tragedy as well we'll soon find out will become sort of the nucleus of mothman mythology so let's dive into the real uh, meat and potatoes so (laughs) as i um as i was talking about before a big source for me in this research was the mothman prophecies by john keel published in 1975 it was a new york times bestseller it was translated into 13 languages so you know this is this isn't your friend's (laughs) zine he's trying to sell at a at a bookshop this is a that's 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 beyond you okay that is some (laughs) hipster zines are like like local magazines that are like so underground uh, you can only get them at certain books yeah okay. fuck zines so the book contains uh writer john keel's account of his personal investigation in point pleasant around the time of the mothman sightings as well as at the same time almost before and after it sort of bookended these mothman stuff was a ton of ufo sightings but the book also includes keel's sort of general musings on cryptozoology and the paranormal and some personal theories um, what I really liked about the book is when it starts off, Keel always seems to exhibit a lot of um, skepticism, which I like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like ha- halfway through, uh, all of a sudden he's just sort of reveals himself to be like something of a crackpot or he's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in uh, you know, a lot of these were pure hoaxes. And here's why. And here's why. And here's why. And then all of a sudden you hit like page 200 and he was like, the world is controlled by interdimensional beings called oh ultra God. paranormal. It's like, oh, my <laughs> Lord. But even this his, has taken a turn. It's it's all it's this all the whole book is just a bunch of turns. That's why I recommend if you like like weird shit, check it out. But so not me. It was hard to follow. I'm, I'm, like I read this thing in like a week and absorbed maybe twenty five percent of what he was trying to tell me. That's kind of how I feel about the Scientology book, Going Clear. Oh really? Like there's so much and there's so many like turns and just yeah. like what the fuck. Yep. That I feel like I there's so much more crazy shit in there that I just didn't retain because right. there's like more precedent. How can you? Because there's so much. There's so many different like narratives and storylines and like okay yeah. we'll get back to that in a second. But also so this. Wild. But also that. 
First of all, Mothman in a nutshell, the Mothman is a legendary, a, leg- a sedentary lifestyle. No, the Mothman is a legendary winged creature. <laughs> it's called a quick save. Legendary winged creature described as resembling a human man covered in brown or sometimes it's described as gray fur hmm. with big red glowing eyes. He's around six to seven feet tall. He's got these big glowing red eyes in the breast area um, because he seems to have no head. Modern interpretations, like cool little graphics you'll see online, just show him as like a man with literal moth wings. But really, he looked like an owl. Interesting. Like a giant, like a mascot owl almost, because he kind of has this like drumstick body, this big fat head with two eyes in the middle and these big feathery bird wings and um, (laughs) legs that are often described as muscular. (laughs) <laughs> like every, everyone makes the point of being like, oh, he had man legs. Like I saw the muscles in his manly legs. I'm just imagining <laughs> like, can you like crush me with those? He's like, that dude's like doing squats. Yeah. Like, everyone, this, several salivating. points people were like, oh, his legs were muscular. His thighs. Oh, his legs went on for days. Yeah. We are assuming the gender. It really could have been anything. It just didn't have breasts that we know of. But maybe their, breasts, their breasts could be stored in a different part of the body. Maybe it's just too dark to see. Very true. Maybe the glowing red eyes were tits. <gasps> red hot nipples. Red hot nipples. <laughs> and you can probably enlighten us more on this, but Mothman, the Mothman, he lives in this area, which I don't understand why it's called this. It seems almost fake. It, this area of Mount Pleasant called the TNT area. Uh, well, I have a whole history on it, so I can give you give it to me. that right now if you'd like. The Mothman is known to frequent... The TNT area, as it's called in West Virginia, the TNT area is from an ammunition manufacturing facility that employed a few thousand people in World War II. So explosives were stored in bunkers scattered across uh, about 8,000 acre territory. And these bunkers were disguised by a thick layer of earth. So think kind of like hobbit holes. Okay. You know, like there's, there's a hidden door. That's kind of small, and then the rest of it's covered by... That's how Mothman got in. Yeah, earth and, like, grass and stuff, kind of, like, lost. You think, like, the hidden bunkers and lost and stuff. Uh, So they're actually, like, really creepy looking, like, old, rusted. Yeah. It definitely looks pretty Um, (laughs) explosive-y. Like, you shouldn't go in there. Right, yeah, for sure. Uh, So the manufacturing facility for the explosives closed down after World War II area. World War... World War II time period, (laughs) and the land was converted to a wildlife manu. Oh my God, I can't talk. A wildlife wildlife management area, which was later found to be severely contaminated by explosive byproducts. So naturally, today the land is used for fishing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, While still being on the EPA or the Environmental Protection Agencies. National priorities list for hazardous waste. Oh, wow. So it's extremely hazardous, and people still just kind of go there for fishing trips and stuff. But this is said to be the Mothman's main domain and hiding place. Right, like his nest. Yeah, his nest. And I guess the, like, the reason that they call it the TNT area is because they just know, like, oh, there's still TNT in there. Yeah, absolutely. There's still explosives under there. Yeah. Fun fact, in May of 2010, one of the bunkers with 20,000 pounds of unstable material suddenly exploded. Oh, God. Yeah, so these things are still, like, active and unstable and, like, reactive. 
Right. And yeah, nobody died, thankfully, but like a few people were injured. But can you imagine? Like, I think I like l- that's kind of fucked. Like how close it is to Point Pleasant. It's like a few miles north of it, I think. Yeah, it's very close. It's, yeah, it's located five miles north of Point Pleasant. Yeah. So you got to think of the psychology of this. Just knowing that there is this kind of mysterious abandoned area that's dangerous that could yeah. blow up at any second really could have aided potentially to this idea of that's where the thing dwells is this yeah. dangerous area that we can't go to. Definitely. And if you hear the stories of like this dangerous thing and ooh spooky, then when you go there, you're like kind of more inclined to think something's, something's there. Yeah. yeah. And then once you get that creepy feeling, it's hard so, to it's shake the power it. Of suggestion kind of. A lot of the sightings were in this area and many claimed it was a large winged man with red eyes. Yeah. A contractor working in the area uh, shined a flashlight at the creature and its eyes glowed like bicycle reflectors Mm -hmm. is how he described it. He also blamed the disappearance of his dog on the creature. So there's like a lot of animal uh, disappearances with the Mothman as well. Yeah, that was, was, I believe that was Merle Partridge. Well, unless there's two separate dogs that got uh, like there's a few dogs that went missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a thing with the Mothman, like dogs. Like yeah. he probably eats dogs. Well, um, my thought instantly was like Mothman is in a bunker and he just has a bunch of dogs. That's and he adorable. just he loves them. That's pretty cute. And all I like his it pets. A lot more. And like yeah. the dogs just like love him because he's all fuzzy and stuff, and he just like pets the dogs all day. That's a really cute. That'd be like a nice little cartoon. Yeah, I drew right? a picture of Mothman while I was like listening to uh, <laughs> to interviews, and uh, this is in my opinion, this is what Mothman is. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just really fucking. I love that picture though. You should um you should put that in the graphic art for sure will, for Instagram. Yeah. Any guesses on what this is? Our next episode focuses on whatever the whatever fuck this that is. Beefcake is. Yeah. That's my idea of moth that's my idea of Mothman and the perfect man. Yeah, but what you're talking about with that contractor or that it was like a military contractor, somebody who was like patrolling the area. Potentially one of the first sightings of him was that he saw this thing in a tree. Yeah. It was just like, you know, fucking like bird man. And he was like, what is that? I should shine my flashlight on it. And he saw it and he was like, I should not have shined my flashlight on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the thing just it disappeared, like it flew off or whatever. But what's weird about Mothman is that in all of the sightings when they describe him flying off it's not like his wings flap and he takes off it's like he levitates in the air and takes off like a helicopter you know what i mean like there's some wing flapping for, for the most part just out of there also like, like the all of the eyewitness reports i've read about him i'm assuming a him is it doesn't really do anything to anybody no. It's just kind of there, and it's spooky, and then he, he realizes he spooks someone out, and he leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, he's pretty yeah. courteous. Yeah. He's, the, he's hanging out in this abandoned area that's dangerous that no one should be in any way. You know, yeah, probably just true. trying to stay away from people. Well, and that's, then, that's where you get this theory, this, um, out of all of the, you know, how many theories there are in Mothman, a very popular one is this idea that he is either, A, a harbinger of doom, like he mm-hmm. shows up just before and disappears right after the Silver Bridge collapses, which is a, yeah. a big part of this town's history. People say, what if he was warning everybody? Like, what if he yeah. was some sort of sentient whatever from some other portal or whatever you want to call it? That's what I like to think. I think that's way more interesting, Like, for sure. in my brain, I like to go the route of he was trying to save the bridge. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew it was going to collapse and he couldn't. Right. So he left and he lives in this TNT area knowing that people probably shouldn't be going there so he wouldn't be spotted and then all these dogs disappear because he's taking care of them. That's adorable. Mothman is a hunk. He's a hunk. But yeah, I mean, Keel talks about these things called tulpas. 
I think oh. I'm pronouncing that right, okay. which I think are fascinating. You can talk about UFOs all day. You can talk about Sasquatch. Science, for the most part, can tell you like, okay, well, there might not be a Sasquatch or UFOs might be real. But with tulpas, it's so metaphysical. It's like a fairy tale side of paranormal. So a tulpa is a being or an object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. It's like a manifestation. Keel proposes that UFOs could be tulpas. So let's say if you think about a UFO enough, you'll see a UFO. Yeah. It can be as simple as that. Okay. Or people get crazy with it where it's like maybe there are these interdimensional beings, but we all perceive them as different things. Think of like if a kid can't comprehend what he's seeing, he or she will relate it to whatever they do understand. Mm -hmm. So if he walks in a mom and dad fucking, he's like, mom and dad are wrestling. Yeah. So if this thing, this entity, this manifestation, this metaphysical being shows up and your brain has to decide what it is. This is really high concept and I definitely did not like look into enough for you to understand what I'm about to say. <laughs> but so like a mirror, it reflects whatever your brain can conceive. That's really interesting. There's this, this thing entering our dimension. But in my mind, I'm going to see it as a big man with wings. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a mothman. Someone else might see it as like, oh, a big flying disc. Right. It was a UFO. Or way, way back in medieval times, you saw something weird in the sky. Oh, a dragon or like a witch. Right. That's because at that time, that's as far as your brain would go to. That's what your brain could, you know, comprehend. Right. In terms of this uncomprehendable thing. Right. So that's obviously a huge tangent. I apologize. but so No, that was like really interesting. There's the concept that maybe the Mothman is a tulpa. Maybe it's this thing yeah. where at that time, for some whatever reason, people were seeing a Birdman. Right. And uh, I mean, it also kind of explains why it hasn't been seen since. Yeah. Or maybe he just realized his hidey hole was discovered and he's like, all right, I'll go fuck off somewhere else. Just the concept of him, he doesn't really make any sense. Like he, like no, he doesn't. He doesn't it's so odd, and he doesn't really reoccur in any other places in time. Mm -hmm. But there are similar sightings to things like this. These are less substantiated, so I can't, you know, say for certainty. For example, there's this thing called the Black Bird of Chernobyl, where this insanely large bird thing was seen like days before the Chernobyl collapse. And there's also this uh, this sighting of like a of a winged birdman similar to Mothman outside of this mine in. Germany somewhere in Europe. These workers reported to a mine one morning and they saw a man standing in front of the mine with their back to them in like a, a black coat. As they watched, they thought this is a very strange looking man and they realized that it wasn't a coat, it was black leathery wings. And the man screamed at them and spread his wings and flew away. Shortly after, the mine collapsed. These weird anomalies tend to show up before something crazy happens. Yeah. And for some reason they're all winged, which I don't understand. You know what I really want? I want a pelican man. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fucking disgusting. Pelican man. Okay, I heard this uh, this thing today. A pelican's beak... I'm going to fuck this up. A pelican... A pelican's mouth can hold more than its belly can. Interesting. Like pelican. No, like it's a uh. Interesting. Like it's a science fact. Oh, really? No, like pelican belican, like his belly can. His, a pelican's beak can hold more than its belly can. Uh. It's dumb. I'm not going to leave that in. That was the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> I'll leave it in. I, I edit the fat, so this is staying <laughs> in, at least from my perspective. Oh, God. Okay, so back to other bird things. Um, uh. I want to touch on... Uh, well, first of all, tell me about what you learned about the first sighting with the gravediggers. The first sighting ever of the Mothman was in 1966 uh, when two gravediggers... Well, I should start by saying that from 1966 to 1967, there were over 100 reported Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant. Mm -hmm. And there's assumed to be many more that just weren't reported. But yeah. So like this was, a, this was a serious thing locally. 
Yeah. But t- talk about the Especially first... like when there's only 4,000 people in the town. Yeah. I mean, that's significant. Yeah. So the first sighting was in 1966 when two grave diggers working near Clendine, West Virginia, reported a large winged humanoid that flew from a nearby tree and glided over their heads. So yeah, definitely not like flappy, kind of like this big bird thing, kind of swooping down over top of them. Yeah. A point of interest I thought was on November 13th or 14th, 1966, at around 10.30 p.m., Merle Partridge of Salem, West Virginia, which is about 90 miles north of Point Pleasant, so quite a ways, but this is a little bit before the Mothman sightings had reached Point Pleasant. Merle Partridge was watching TV at night when his television set began to blank out. Just as it malfunctioned, a high-pitched whining came from the TV set, and as Merle would later describe, it was very loud and sounded like a generator winding up. Just then, Merle's dog Bandit, who had previously been resting outside on the porch, started up with a crazed and incessant barking. When Merle checked on Bandit, he noticed that the dog was directing his attention and his barking towards the hay barn, which was um, a considerable distance away from the from the porch. And this dog is claimed to be by Merle a very reliable and trained dog, mm-hmm. but he had never seen Bandit act so strange and so panicked. And that kind of worried him, so he went and got his 8mm shotgun, and he ventured out into the cold November night. There's a feeling of fear that he couldn't shake, and so he confined himself to the porch. Peering out towards the hay barn, Merle noticed two very large circular red lights moving in the distance. When he saw it, he pretty much saw it as eyes. He watches these lights in the distance. They were shiny and red, and if they were eyes, they were eyes that belonged to something quite large. And that's when Bandit finally snapped and goes running into the dark after the red glow until there was no sign of the trusted dog or the red lights. So all of a sudden, Bandit's gone into the night, the eyes are gone, and it's just Merle on the porch. And he's still overtaken with his feeling of apprehension. He decides to wait till the morning to wrangle up Bandit, and that's a decision that he'd go on to regret because the dog was never found. A trip out to the barn the next day would leave Merle with little more than a few paw prints, and he actually followed the trail of his dog's paw prints past the, the hay barn, and the, the tracks just went in a circle, and they disappeared. It looked like he was just chasing his tail. That's really interesting. Well, I'll throw in here. This is from the same day. While out driving near the abandoned TNT plant, two couples claimed that a massive humanoid with a 10-feet wingspan and large glowing eyes appeared in the sky and then chased their car down the road. Yeah, so this this is, um, the thing with this TNT area, is, weirdly enough, is it sort of was like a lover's lane kind of thing for young people to go riding out there, like, make out. And That's where the goths went. Pretty much, yeah. Whatever goths would exist in 1966 are like, let's go out to this scary place and just make some good old-fashioned 1966 whoopee. Mm-hmm. So these couples went on like a joyride in a black 1957 Chevy. This happened on November 15th, 66. It was Linda and Roger Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. And the whole instance is actually kind of terrifying because everybody walked away saying like, oh, that was a monster. <laughs> but as they were as they were peeling out, this thing was flying alongside them. Shit. Um, it you know got lost in the night and they sort of parted ways. But as they're driving, they noted a large dead dog on the side of the road, mm. which they think might have been Bandit. And they go right to the police. The police go with them and do like a little reconnaissance mission. And the dog's not there when they get back there. Hmm. So like maybe that was like a dead dog. Leave it there. Pick it up later. 
Um, but that's just how I thought those two were related. But that's that's sort of like the cornerstone sighting is this image of this 1960s couple in a black Cadillac being chased by this monster. Can you imagine how horrifying that would Fuck be, though? That. Fuck that. Ah. Fuck that so ah. Legitimately, literally I, I being chased that. by some monster thing, and you're like, no. "This is only you. Know, you're only supposed to see this in the movies, and, <laughs> and then right. it's literally happening right. to you." And this is 1966, so people like they don't even see this scary stuff in movies. Like, yeah. they're, you know, like in movies, it's like right. very tame stuff. This is probably like melting their brains. Let's see if I can try to find the uh, the headline was really good for that because it showed up in the paper the next day. What's so cool about this story is as a community, everyone knew who to trust. Very few people were laughed at with these sightings, especially Aww. when they started to double up. So, like, it is interesting to see the community respond to it because yeah. even the police officers with those young couples, the sheriff or somebody, one of the police officers said, like, I've known these kids their entire lives. They're not liars. They were so genuine. I believe what they saw. So there wasn't this typical, like, all oh, you crazy kids. Right. People were like, oh, you saw a monster? I'm also scared. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think this, like, the Mothman Prophecies film had almost nothing to do. It was like a modern adaption that also wasn't really an adaption. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, the book itself, the stories it tells, like, it would be an incredible film on its own or, like, a miniseries because the stuff that happens with Mothman is, like, bizarre. There's UFOs. There's men in black. There's I would love uh, it giant if Mothman. they did, like, a Maleficent twist on it where they did it from mothman's perspective that'd be really cool yeah he's just some homeless man that likes to hang out in the tnt area and then radioactive ah mothman now bitten by a radioactive moth but he always just loved dogs because he's a homeless man and now he's trying not to spook people and he's like chased down the car like guys don't be scared it's fine it's fine stay away this is the tnt area it's very dangerous yeah the one guy's dog is the first dog he tried to befriend and accidentally killed it and he felt bad, so he got rid of the corpse because he didn't want to keep scaring people. Yeah, and he ate it still. Yeah, he still ate it. It's still delicious. A shame to let it go to waste. I think I have a crush on the Mothman. I don't blame you. I'm not <laughs> going to say I don't either. Yeah, here's the headline from the Point Pleasant Register, and this was Wednesday, November 16th. Yeah, 1966, so just a few days after, a day after. The headline read... Couples see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, 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 something. That's a cool-ass headline, you guys. I love it. Also terrible reporting because it's like, hey, we have a story that we have minimal information on. We're just like, it's something. They saw it, and we don't know what it was. But here's a story That's also intriguing in its own way. Oh, for sure, and it's just a great headline. So, Kaylee, uh, you're the science person here. You're the smart one. (laughs) I'm the good-looking one. And so... (laughs) Good trade-off. So um, there's several theories to disprove the Mothman, which only makes sense because it's like a ridiculous concept. Yeah. What did you find on debunkings of Mothman? So there weren't a whole lot of like well-researched or well-thought-out theories, but the main one is called the Sandhill Crane Theory. And this originated from a wildlife biologist at West Virginia University that told reporters that descriptions and sightings all fit the characteristics of a sandhill crane, which is a mm-hmm. large American bird, almost as high as a man. They can be like six feet, five, six feet, it's, something like disgu- that. That should not exist. Yeah, with a seven-foot wingspan uh, with red coloring around the eyes. And he claims that the bird must have deviated from its migration route, mm-hmm. so it ended up in an area that it isn't normally in, which would explain why the people are suddenly seeing this thing. It's unnatural uh, to them. It's unnatural to them, and it was such a short amount of time 
And, you know, eyes kind of glow when you shine lights in them and stuff. And they are very, like, big and red. Yeah. So it does fit that description. The disappearing of the dogs is still kind of unexplained. Right. Also, they got those skinny little bird legs. They're like sticks. They have no muscle like our boy Mothman. Yeah. But also, memories, you know, the whole false memories thing. For sure. That's a a huge part of this. Yeah. If you... If you look at it and you tell yourself that's that's like a bird man, right? You're gonna remember it having like man that's legs. True. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like an owl. Owls don't have like visible legs. That's right. Right. They also so. kind of have the big eyes and no real head because owls are kind of stocky. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's I think there's like it's very likely. Yeah. I in no way am confident that Mothman is a real thing. Yeah. The sightings if he were has even hit me real. Up. Yeah, please. Call me. Yeah, contact us, Mothman. I also love dogs. (laughs) Backing away from the Mothman itself for a little bit because really as far as the Mothman is concerned, the rest of the sightings are just kind of like that. A dog runs away into the night. People get a weird feeling. They look outside and see a pair of red glowing eyes looking at them. Yeah. There's 100 sightings. Yeah. Where it gets interesting, I think, is the Silver Bridge. Yeah. That shit gets wild. So I'm going to deviate real quick. Same time frame, Mm -hmm. there was a ton of UFOs seen in Point Pleasant. And a lot of people think that there is a relationship between Mothman and the UFOs. So March 9th, I think this is a really weird, uh, This I got this straight from Mothman Prophecies. So March 1966, as John Keel described her, a, quote, shapely housewife. Also, like, low-key, John Keel is sexist. <laughs> this book is from <laughs> 1975, and he says so many things where I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I understand why there isn't an audiobook of this. Right. You're like, okay, John Keel. <laughs> Um, so a shapely housewife was waiting in her car outside of school to pick up her kids when she saw a shining metal disc hovering low to the ground above the school playground. She described a door-like aperture that opened on the side of the disc's rim with a man standing outside of it in midair, watching intently at the playground. This man was wearing like a metallic bodysuit and he had long white flowing hair. But so just as her kids approach the car and I assume start to pile in, she looks at her kids. And when she looks back, obviously it's gone. This is a really weird UFO sighting because it makes it does not sound like it came from the period of the 60s. Right. Um, And I mean, that to me could also be a tulpa. Again, in the summer of 66, several customers at Tiny's Diner in Point Pleasant. That's such like a small diner name. Uh, I know. Right. Uh, They spotted UFOs hovering in the sky. And that summer, journalist Mary Heyer, she was a very significant character in the book um, and in real life, obviously, because it's based off true events. But that summer, local journalist Mary Heyer witnessed a similar object in the sky while driving. But at the time, she thought little of it until later unexplained occurrences would cause her to reevaluate this sighting. And Mary Heyer relates to the UFOs. She relates to Mothman. She relates to John Keel. And she relates to the Silver Bridge Collapse. Mm -hmm. She has a very interesting connection to the Silver Bridge Collapse. So Mary Heyer was a newspaper reporter for the Athens Messenger and managed the publication's office on 6th Street in downtown Point Pleasant. So Mary ran a column in the Messenger called Where the Waters Mingle, which is a reference to the confluence of the two rivers that are outside Point Pleasant. And this column was all about kind of weird, odd, paranormal happenings in the area. Because there's always been, I guess, some weird shit going on in Point Pleasant. And so as a result of her running this column, she got along with John Keel because John Keel, again, was a a paranormal investigator. So when he came into Point Pleasant to research UFOs and inadvertently Mothman, they kind of hit it off. Keel ended up dedicating the book to Mary and the people of Point Pleasant. But yeah, so her column around the time when these UFOs started happening, again, everyone knows each other here. So when a guy walks in and says, I just saw a UFO and it was the craziest moment of my life, she's like, I'll write an article about it. (laughs) So I'll just tell you how she relates to the... um, Silver Bridge Collapse. Okay. Okay, so uh, at some point 
in the we're going to be bypassing some a lot of girth and meat of the story but an interesting point i want to get to about mary hires at some point along her adventures with john keel and all this stuff which is a whole episode in and of itself uh, she starts to have these premonitions of these weird dreams oh. of water and wrapped presents floating in water and people floating in water Thing like a lazy river. Like she's having these dreams of these people floating in the water with these wrapped Christmas presents. Yeah. Um, do you know the date someone that collapsed? Yes. December 15th, 1967. Okay. So when this bridge collapses, a lot of people were Christmas shopping. Right. And so these people, when the bridge collapsed, um, ah. when, yeah, when Mary first went to the scene, because it was a huge thing in town, everybody rushed to the bridge to see what happened because all of a sudden the bridge was just gone. Right. And they heard screaming. Mary looked into the water and she saw, first of all, she saw like some submerged cars, but she also saw Christmas presents floating in the water. And then she saw the bodies rising up. Obviously, people that died in the impact of the collapse. Mm -hmm. So these dreams were like a, you know, like a premonition. And so people relate that to like, you know, this, this thing that Mothman or whatever was going on at the time had this effect on people. But more on the Silver Bridge collapse, I think you, you know more about that than I do. Yeah, so... The Silver Bridge was built in 1928 and was connected from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Galapolis. Galap- Galap- I have no idea how to say it. I don't either. know how to yeah, say no, that. It was in the book. I have no idea how you pronounce Galapolis, that. Ohio is how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, so it connected the two areas over a river and was pretty traffic ridden, I guess you'd say. So come December 15th, 1967. The bridge crumbled into the Ohio River during rush hour. Like Kill- the worst time for that to happen. Yeah, literally yeah. the worst time, yeah. So the bridge was pretty popular, and then you can imagine during rush hour it was completely packed. Yeah. Uh, it crumbles into the river, killing 46 people without warning. There wasn't even any signs that the bridge was going to collapse or that it was weak. It just kind of collapsed all at once um, i read in the book that like a, a, a main reason for the collapse too is that it was built in like the 20s did you say 1928 yeah yeah and built 1928 um and it was built with like model t's and like the car builds at that time which are significantly lighter than cars manufactured in the 60s that's when like the chassis and everything got significantly heavier right and more sturdy and it's like a totally different machine so it really wasn't equipped for that weight change so it was sort of like a ticking time bomb in a sense it is one of the worst catastrophes in American history, which I think is really interesting really? considering it's like such a small town with like right. 4,000 people. And, and it, when you, th- I think it's easy to look at the number of what was it, 47? 46. 46 yeah. people died. 46 people is a lot of people, but also like not a ton of people. That's like, what I think. When but- I think of a catastrophe, I think, oh, like hundreds of people died. But you got to remember too, this is a small town and how many individuals did that affect? Right. You know, how many generations were changed? How many generations were, were ended? How yeah. many you know lives were changed forever? I mean, that's that's a weight that the town still feels because it wasn't that long ago. Right, definitely. And there was an investigative team that was kind of put on to see why the bridge collapsed, and really all that they found was poor design and overloading of the bridge. Uh, and they blamed the entire bridge's collapse due to the failure of one single link in the bridge. So it was a poor design and it was overloaded. But that in of itself wouldn't have explained the total collapse of the bridge. And the only thing that they found that would explain it was the failure of a single link. Damn. (laughs) Um, Which is kind of insane to think about. 
So Mothman sightings were seen around the bridge before its collapse, and they stopped immediately after the collapse of the bridge, uh, which made a lot of people think that the two were related, either that the Mothman caused the collapse of the bridge or that the Mothman was trying to warn people of the bridge collapse. A lot of people claim to have seen it just before the collapse of the bridge itself. Some of the the final sightings are like right before the bridge collapse. They see this entity hovering over the bridge. Right, which is kind of interesting to me because I would think you know, the Mothman is this big craze in the town at the time. Everyone's talking about the Mothman. Everyone's seeing the Mothman. And then you have this mass tragedy of a yeah. bridge collapse. Right. I, like, I would think that kind of takes the focus of what everyone's talking about. Yeah. You know, like, that's the new headline. That's the new story. So, right. like, the Mothman's kind of forgotten about. Yeah. So maybe that's why the Mothman disappeared. Yeah. You know, like, the sighting stopped immediately because everyone is so preoccupied with the bridge right. collapsed and, and 46 you, families really kind of being ended yeah. in a town of you know 4000 you look at it from that really crazy tulpa side of things if it is all mental projection and your mental energy is directed somewhere else entirely mm-hmm. it makes sense that you'd stop seeing these weird things cuz you're not even your brain isn't even paying attention to them Right, that's what I'm saying. Because you're so preoccupied. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's kind of interesting to think about, I think. And a lot of times when you hear stories like this with these cryptids and and when it's tied to a town tragedy, it's normally after the fact where it's like, oh, all these stories come out. But what I like about this is that it was such a big deal before it happened. Mm -hmm. Adds a a level of, like, mystery and, like, creepiness. And I'll say legitimacy, although I know that it's a a wild concept. But the, the fact that it was such a big deal... And then this thing happened. And then it was still a big deal afterwards. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much more with Men in Black specifically. I think like we could totally do like an episode on that alone. It's so fucking creepy. There's some stuff. I actually like I read this book. I had nightmares about it. Maybe our next episode we can focus on Men in Black. So this can be like a part one. And then maybe we can have our first part two episode. Yeah. Which would be kind of fun. So that was part of the maze of the Mothman tale. Yes. Uh, We'll continue. I've decided for the both of us on our next episode. Well, we'll kind of dive in more of the men in black. The finer details. Yeah, the finer details to kind of focus on the men in black and a few other people that tie into the story. Because it was such a meaty, meaty topic. topic. And I would love to fully explain it. So this was part one and we'll go into part two in our next episode. But if you did like it, please make sure that you leave us some feedback. You let us know if you have any topics you would like us to talk about. It's a bit of a delay if you send us an email. I promise I read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we will do an episode on the topics you give us. We just also record like a month in advance before the episodes come out. Um, so don't lose hope. We'll talk about it. But send us an email at according to an idiot at gmail.com. And we also have an Instagram and Facebook, according to an idiot. And our Twitter handle is at idiots accord. And if you did like us, it would mean a lot if you could leave us an iTunes review. Those bump us up quite a bit and yeah, we get and we new always, listeners that way right, as well. We, yeah. so. we always love to hear what you guys have to say as well, especially yeah. if it's uh, critical because we love to cry. Yeah, I have low self-esteem. So. <laughs> we have low self-esteem. We're thin-skinned. It's perfect for us. So please. Yeah, I love reading the reviews and stuff and the things that you post about us on Facebook and on iTunes and all that stuff and Podbean. I read all of it. I usually screenshot and send it to Jeremy and then we like giggle about it together so (laughs) right (laughs) if if that thought gives you some joy go ahead and do it but thank you guys for listening and um we didn't do a good vibration good vibrations we we gotta do that Kaylee, Um, Kaylee give me that vibe
my good vibrations is hunky, sensitive Mothman, obviously. Yes. yes. I, I Daddy. <laughs> gross. Uh, I got to say, I think, um, how could mine not also be Mothman? I don't know. <laughs> We've established that he is a very eligible bachelor. Imagine resting your head up yep. against his fur. Like, yep. Oh, amazing. It's warm. He's got big ass wings. Inviting. Uh, just eyes that you get lost in. He'll, he'll dog sit for you on vacation. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for listening and have a good one. Stay, we'll see you next time. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.